This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, fighting to hold politicians accountable for better health care. Find out more at carp.ca. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Christine Ross for Libby's Nimer. Happy Mother's Day. The pandemic forced the world to move online, including healthcare. But one expert warns this corporate-driven shift to virtual care has a dark side. A new easy-to-use texting app is helping eligible Ontarians find local clinics offering COVID-19 vaccines. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Hey, stand up! We're not going to hold you! Three Colorado police officers involved in the arrest of a 73-year-old woman with dementia, pushed to the ground and handcuffed, have resigned. The city's police chief says the city will carry out an investigation into the actions of the two officers in the arrest of Karen Garner. The woman filed a federal lawsuit this month that alleges one of the officers dislocated her shoulder during the arrest and that she did not receive medical care for about six hours after being taken to jail. How has COVID-19 affected the 2021 census? Completing the questionnaire online will play an important role in this year's census. Because of the pandemic, Canadians are being encouraged to fill in the 2021 census online or by phone. By now, every household in Canada will have received a letter in the mail with instructions on how to complete their questionnaire. Where households do not respond... An enumerator will be sent wearing personal protective equipment, but will not enter the home. For those filing online, the government promises a secure login process and strong encryption to protect people's personal information. Telephone help is available for people who do not want to file online or do not understand English or French. And this year, Stats Canada has created a soundtrack of celebrated Canadian musicians to listen to as you fill out the form. Are you part of a growing number of people bathing less during the pandemic? With so many working from home and not interacting in social groups, more and more have opted to shower less. Some admit to just once a week since the pandemic started. Writer Heather Whaley of Connecticut says her showers have fallen by 20%. This new trend is also good for the environment. Doctors and health experts say daily showers are unnecessary and even counterproductive as washing with soap every day can strip the skin of its natural oils, leave it feeling dry, though doctors do still recommend frequent hand washing. This may come as no surprise, but listening to music before going to bed can significantly improve sleep quality for older adults. According to a just-released report from the Journal of the American Geriatric Society, older adults who listen to calming music, slow tempo, soft volume, experienced a greater improvement in sleep than those who listen to rhythmic music, loud, with fast tempos. 
Based on the findings, listening to relaxing music can improve sleep by releasing cortisol levels, thereby lowering anxiety and stress. Up to 70% of older adults have sleep problems, which is linked with poor quality of life and an increased risk of dementia. She survived the Holocaust, but Mala Apter's family feared she would not survive COVID-19. The 102-year-old Toronto woman, already frail and suffering from late-stage dementia, was diagnosed with the virus in mid-April at her long-term care home. Last week, Apter came out of isolation, virus-free. The centenarian not only survived, but avoided symptoms altogether, and her family is thanking science. Mala received her first vaccine in January, the second dose, a month later. I'm Christine Ross, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Like most things during the pandemic, there's been a stampede to pivot online. This includes the healthcare system. What brings you in today? You know, I wanted to schedule an appointment, or I wanted to see you because I wasn't feeling well, um, and I wanted to get a refill on my medication. Family physician and U of T professor Cheryl Spithoff recently wrote an op-ed piece condemning healthcare's pivot to virtual, arguing that with so many corporations wanting a slice of the pie, it'll drive up costs, create fragmented care, and pose a risk to privacy. Dr. Cheryl Spithoff, thank you for joining us. Now, your op-ed piece, you write that the healthcare system's pivot to virtual care during the pandemic has sparked a corporate stampede into primary care, and you're cautioning that we need to be wary. Why? Yes. Um, So over the last probably two decades or so, corporations have been expanding into health services, um, primary care and otherwise buying up primary care clinics, um, pharmacies, um, electronic medical record systems. um, And but more recently with the pandemic and the the change to virtual care, um, they've expanded into virtual care, virtual care platforms, um, chatbots, those areas as well. These areas are uh, attractive to these um, companies because um, particularly the standalone virtual care, which is what we talk about a lot in our article, um, this is a virtual care where um, patients log on to an app, a commercial app, and they receive care from a provider with whom they don't have an ongoing relationship. Companies like this because they don't incur the costs of brick-and-mortar clinics. Um, they don't have to pay for a receptionist. They also look after lower acuity, more simple, straightforward problems. And the more complex cases get you know, punted to the family doctor or to the emergency department. I'm sure there are things that doctors simply can't do virtually with their patients. Yes, there are definitely things that family doctors or physicians in general can't do with their patients. So these are the ones the patients that need be seen in clinic. And these standalone virtual care services aren't able to offer that. Um, These are things like managing ongoing, you know, complex conditions where people need, you know, their blood pressure monitored or need to have their, you know, their heart listened to or need to be uh, assessed in person. Um, Or even more, you know, straightforward cases like dizziness also needs to be assessed in person. So these are things that can't be looked after through these um, standalone commercial platforms. So talk to me about some of the other drawbacks. You talk that the cost of health will be driven up and there's also some privacy concerns with virtual. What we're concerned about is that services get duplicated. So people, you know, access this um, standalone virtual care service and then it's something that needs ongoing care. So then they also see the family doctor for the same issue or they're also going to the emergency department. And the other concern that we have is because these are 
corporations, companies um, that are looking to increase their revenues, that they're also looking for other sources of revenue. Um, so we found that one company, a health tech company that owns 25 primary care clinics, is planning to create a, a database of de-identified patient records, um, planning to be the largest one in Canada. And their plan is to tap into the commercial and clinical potential of these records. They estimate each one's worth somewhere between 35 and um, 300 and something dollars. So the concern with this is patient privacy, what happens to these records, and who's allowed to access them. The other concern is what are they being used for? So we know in Canada the biggest commercial consumer of these records is um, the pharmaceutical industry. Mm -hmm. And they use the information to market to physicians because in most provinces in Canada, the physician information is not de-identified. So they are able to identify and target physicians who they feel are likely to prescribe their products, market to them often through what we call a drug detailing visit where a drug representative goes and visits a physician, encourages them to prescribe their drugs, and then track and see if it's had an impact on the physician behavior. And the reason we're concerned about it is because study after study shows this leads to less appropriate prescribing on the behalf of the physician. They tend to not follow guidelines. They prescribe more costly and appropriate drugs. So at this point, it's probably difficult to stop this technology juggernaut of everything going online virtually, including healthcare. But what would be a solution or an alternative model that incorporates um, this? Yeah, great question, because these technologies are important. Um, I mean, during a pandemic, but even afterwards, we... I mean, communicating with our patients through virtual methods is important, and the Canadians have said that as well. Um, what we would like to see is these technologies incorporated into an ongoing um, primary care relationship. So one barrier to that is that some Canadians don't have a family doctor or nurse practitioner. What we are suggesting, encouraging the government to do is to fund more comprehensive models of care, um, you know, switch their funding so that Instead of funding, you know, in episodic care, they're funding these comprehensive models where physicians work together with nurses, physiotherapists, social workers. These models up front, you know, seem to be more expensive because we're also paying for, you know, the nurses and the physiotherapists, but they've been shown over time actually to reduce health system costs and to improve health outcomes. So we're saying expand these models make um, the physicians working in these models responsible for a geographical area to ensure that everybody there has a family doctor or nurse practitioner, and then also to offer timely um, access to care. So these models are ready where they're you know, in use. They have agreements where um, I work in one, so we're obligated to provide after-hours care. We also provide same-day urgent access, we right. phone calls. We have messaging with our patients as well. If we expand these models and provide everyone with a family with a family doctor, we can have you know the benefits of these new technologies, improved access without the downsides of when it's run by corporations who are looking out for their bottom line. Dr. Cheryl Spithoff, we're out of time. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. That was family physician and U of T professor Cheryl Spithoff. I'm Christine Ross, and this is the Zoomer Weekend Review. Coming up, there's now another new and easy way to book your COVID vaccine close to where you live. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, helping you unlock money you didn't know you had. 
members-only discounts that can save you tons. Find out more at carp.ca. If you have a smartphone and know your postal code, there's a new and easy way to book your COVID vaccine. Two Toronto-based engineers have created a texting app to help us all amid the confusing world of booking COVID vaccines. It offers a more user-friendly way to book without navigating website portals or calling around to different pharmacies. It's just one more tool in the province's fight against COVID-19. I spoke with Zane Manji, one of two men behind it, to find out how it works. Zane, thank you for joining us today. Why did you create this texting tool app? Yes, so I was just browsing Twitter on Friday, and uh, a friend of mine, Camille, retweeted a a tweet from the U.S. um, talking about, you know, a tool over there where you can text a phone number with your zip code and get three closest COVID vaccination sites near you. And um, we kind of just asked ourselves, like, oh, is this in Canada yet? And if not, why isn't it here? And uh, how long would it actually take to build? And uh, we're engineers at heart, so we just thought about it for a little bit, me and my co-creator, Ashish, and we realized it would take one to two hours to make, and so we just made it. So I have to tell you, I was watching this unfolding in real time last Friday night. In fact, I I put off walking my dog because I got so involved in this, (laughs) watching the developments on Twitter, and as soon as it was up and loaded, I tried it. It it worked right away. What has the Mm -hmm. feedback been? The feedback has been great, honestly. Um, a ton of people have been messaging us on Twitter and, and in our inboxes just saying, you know, thank you for making the tool. We've been able to uh, code vaccination bookings from it and even been able to get on wait lists that we couldn't get on before. Um, so the response has been uh, tremendous and everyone, uh, you know, myself and Ashish and our company are thrilled that, you know, it's helping so many people. So let's tell people how it works. Yeah, so all you need to do is text the phone number. Um, the phone number is one eight three 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 five six one six eight three, and you text it with your postal code. And after you text your postal code, you'll get an instant reply um, with two to three of the closest vaccination sites near you. And in that text message that you get, you'll see the title or the name of the location, um, the address, the phone number, and then the website to book the appointment on. Were there any hiccups in this whole process along the way for you and your partner? Yeah, there was a few. Um, as soon as we, as soon as we launched the the phone number or like publicly advertised it, um, you know, we got so much traffic coming to the phone number that the telephone carriers thought it was unusual and, and blocked their phone number because they thought it was spam. And so we then had to somehow get in contact with the telephone carriers so that they can unblock our phone number. And, um, you know, I think that whole process there was, made us, you know, offline for about maybe three to four hours. But after that, it was uh, pretty detailing. And this is pretty user-friendly compared to, you know, some older people who may have trouble accessing the online portal or maneuvering around um, the technology. This is really quite simple. All you need is a cell phone, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah, exactly. Yes, it's, it's super simple. All you need is a cell phone. Um, and all you need to do is just text that phone number. Um, no need to go to the website originally to find it or, you know, nothing confusing about it. And what's next? Do you plan to expand this to other provinces? Mm-hmm. So we, we just expanded it to British Columbia last night. 
Um, so it's live in British Columbia. Um, so people there can try to find, you know, bookings and appointments over there. Um, and then we are planning to launch it in Alberta either tonight or tomorrow. And then the rest of the provinces every single day after. And do you, are you looking for investment support at this point? Uh, no, I mean, uh, not, not particularly, maybe some help with the funding. We, we might be talking to the city about this or the province, but everything right now is just funded through, um, uh, our company laser. Um, they're basically fronting the bill for us. <laughs> I think people were kind of shocked to realize that this could be done in a couple of hours on a Friday night. Yeah, it's, you know, honestly, the, the code or, you know, what was needed to build this is, is quite simple. I think if you have an engineering or coding background, um, it's literally like less than a hundred lines of code and it's, it's simple, right? You know, someone texts the phone, the, the postal code to the phone number. Um, basically our code takes the first three characters of that, full, uh, of that postal code and, and maps it to the available COVID vaccine locations that are provided by the city of or the province of Ontario and then, you know, returns a response right to your phone. But kind of begs the question, we're over a year into this pandemic. I wonder why this didn't, mm-hmm. this wasn't done by anyone sooner. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think I think just part of the reason was maybe awareness that a tool like this could be helpful. Um, it might just not have been on anyone's roadmap or maybe uh, nobody thought that it might be helpful to people. But, you know, um, better late than never, I'd, I'd say. And, you know, hopefully it just helps, you know, the public and everyone um, get back to normal world faster. Let's just review that number one more time for people to text. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's one eight three 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 five six one six eight three. Zane, thank you for this and all the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no problem. Thank you for having me. That was Zane Manji who helped develop the app. He's also co-founder of Laser Technologies. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Christine Ross for Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Huddy, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.